Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Religiosity, How to Make Jesus Mad in Four Easy Steps. Remember, if you're a Christian, Jesus will never be mad at you, right? Uh, because he took your punishment, and he will never be mad at you. And I like to say this because it's biblical. Jesus loves you. If you're a Christian, he loves you as much as anyone else on the planet. And you might be listening to my voice saying, how can that be? I have this fault. I have that fault. And then so-and-so did all these things, and this missionary is doing all these things. It doesn't matter. He died for all of you, and he loves us all equal. So he's never going to become mad at you. The reason we're looking at this is we're asking ourselves, what did Jesus become angry with when he walked on the planet? And if he became angry with it, we're, we're taught to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. So that's something we want to avoid so that we can be more and more pleasing to the Lord. Also remember, 100% of the time when Jesus was mad, he was mad at leaders. He was never mad at the sheep or unbelievers. And I explain that in more detail as in our other lessons. But this is our third lesson. And I want to open up with Something you probably don't want to see on a Sunday morning, right? Uh, but it's a boa constrictor. You see that snake up there, guys? There's some big boys. And I, I think you might know if you've been here, well, I'm really afraid of snakes. And I don't know which one I'd want to go at if I had to go at one. Probably this guy, because the other ones bite you with poison. This guy just squeezes you and swallows you, you know? So <laughs> might be a little better. But, but, you know, maybe I can win. I don't know. I need a weapon, right? So um, here's what's interesting about the boa constrictor. Uh, they grow, on average, to about 13 feet in the wild. That's a pretty big boy. Um, and some of them have been found up to 18 feet. But if you put them in captivity and put them in any kind of box, plexiglass, it doesn't matter, glass, wood, cardboard, if they are in a box and you put them in there as a baby, they will only grow to half the size. So they'll be like five to seven feet. And that's all they grow. And all of us could take that snake on, right? But, but guys, here's why I share it. And please, I'm, I'm not trying to compare Jesus to a snake. Please don't walk out saying, Pastor Joe compared God and Jesus to a snake. No, 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 no. But, but here's what I want you to see. We're going to talk about this thing called religious boxes. And if we put Jesus in a box, in our mind we have him boxed in on what he can and he can't do, we're going to restrict his ability to bless our lives, just like that snake is made smaller. We're going to stop God from being able to do great things in our life. And this is one of the things that made Jesus mad. Do you know why it made him mad? Because it limited his ability to bless people. And we don't want to limit his ability to bless us, right? I don't want him to be limited in your life, but these boxes are so easy to make. And we'll talk about what some of the boxes are. So my big idea is what I want us to walk out understanding more clearly than ever. And uh, I made my big ideas the four easy steps that we can take to make Jesus mad. And here's step three put God in a box, right? If we put God in a box, we are going to make him mad. Not, not us, but that's what made Jesus mad back in Bible days. But he's not going to be happy with us because we're limiting his ability to bless us and to bless others through us. So there's this time in the Bible, and this is our text, where Jesus was trying to heal someone, and they were trying to put him in a box, and he did not like it. And it reads like this in Mark chapter 3, verse 1. 
Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. This is the religious leaders. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. So there's a couple things going on. Religious leaders hated Jesus because they were hypocrites. They didn't really love God. This was all a show. This was a gig, right? This was a money-making gig for them. And so they didn't like Jesus, but they also believed you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. And they, they wanted to see if we could trip them up, we could trip them up with this. So they built a box where they said Jesus can't heal on the Sabbath. And what's so cool is Jesus so wanted to bless even them, right, um, that he healed on purpose seven times on seven different Sabbaths. And he's like, I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to keep doing it. You think I can't do it? I can do it. And he kept doing it, and I think he was trying to get a point across to all of us, right? So take a look at how this plays out. Verse 3, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill life, like a great attorney, he's turning this on them. And it goes on to say, but they remain silent. And another time Jesus was confronting them on the same issue, he said, guys, if you have a donkey and he falls into a ditch on the Sabbath, are you going to get him out? Are you going to let him lay there for 24 hours? And they didn't answer him there. Because there's just one answer, that you're going to show mercy. And Jesus is trying to say, don't tell me I can't heal on the Sabbath. Uh, that is not work. This is an act of mercy. But this is how crazy these guys have gotten. The, the Jews, after Moses' law was given to them, and the Ten Commandments and all the laws, they created what was called the Book of Mishnah. And Mishnah was their explanation of what the laws meant. So when it came to not working, I really think all God meant was Take a day off, guys, and I'd like it to be Saturday. I want everybody to shut down on Saturday. That was for the Jewish people, right? That's their Sabbath. I want you to take a day off. They made it so complicated. They came up with 39 ways you can work. Can you imagine that? So it wasn't just your job. And, you know, here's how silly it was. You ready for something really crazy and silly? They said it was not work to spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but if you spit on dirt, that was work because your spit would make mud, and you're not allowed to make mud on the Sabbath. That's how crazy they were. And so Jesus said to them about the Mishnah and about all, and there were some good things in the Mishnah. Part of it was like a commentary. But Jesus said to them, your traditions make the power of God void. In other words, your traditions are putting me in a box. And that's what he's dealing with here. They put him in a box. So... Take a look at what Jesus did in verse 5. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed, and he said, at their, at their stubborn hearts. So Jesus was angry. He's angry because they put him in a box, not because they're trying to murder him or get rid of him. And it goes on to say, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. And this one's funny. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And so the Herodians, who they're the ones that followed Herod, and then the, the Pharisees, uh, they were arch enemies. They hated each other. But we all know the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So they became friends to get rid of Jesus. But here's what's hilarious. They're telling Jesus, you cannot heal on the Sabbath. 
but we're allowed to plot your murder, and that's okay. So it's okay to plot a murder, but you can't work. And so this is how messed up these guys were. But here's all. The reason this was recorded is Jesus wants to make sure you and I don't have him in any boxes. So I, I came up with three things you and I can do. It doesn't matter what your box is, and I'll try to explain boxes as we go, but three things we can do to make sure if we have God in any boxes, we're going to knock the walls down. So if you're ready to knock some walls down, let's talk about uh, what we can do. And the first one is really cool. We have to grow our expectancy. And I want to ask you a question. What are you expecting God to do in your life? What are you expecting him to do? What are you expecting God to do with your children? If your children have walked off the beaten path, what are you expecting God to do? Uh, Kids, you know, your parents walk off the path. What are you expecting God to do in your parents' life? What are you expecting God to do with your finances if you're struggling in that area? What are you expecting God to do with your body if you're struggling in your body? What are you expecting him to do with any relationship that's just not right? Do you want to allow it to stay dead? Or are you expecting God to do something to change it? Where's your expectancy? And here's what I learned about expectancy. The greatest enemy of expectancy is failure. An unanswered prayer can cause us to stop expecting, right? Failure can stop us from expecting. So if you've been at Believers any length of time, you've heard me say this, but I'm believing it's going to hit some of us even at a higher level today. And I like to say two things. Number one, I like to say when it comes to what God has said, what he has promised, we need to shoot for the stars. That means we need to expect him to do everything that God says he can do. And if we hit the moon, our feet are still way above the earth. And so isn't it better to be a little bit above the earth than not to expect God to do anything? Uh, I've had prayers that haven't been answered, but I'm going to keep praying. And here's what helps me to keep praying. I like the example of baseball players. And do you know in Major League Baseball, the pros, that the, the, the greatest batting averages, the guys that make the all-star team, they're really, really great baseball players, their batting average is only 300. That's a really great batting average. That's 300 under th- out of 1,000 or 30%. So here's all the batting average means. When they come to plate, thir- 300 means they get on base 30% of the time which means 70% of the time they either strike out, they're thrown out, or they, 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 they're, they're caught out. But 70% of the time, they don't get to base. But here's what I want you to see, and I think this is how we should look at life. This is how I look at God and prayer, is um, if I strike out or I get tagged out and it doesn't work, I'm still going back to the plate. I am not going to stop swinging. And you have to make sure you keep swinging. So we need to be like a baseball player to just keep, all right, I just struck out. Yeah, you got me. I'm coming back. I'm going to swing again. And we need to be that way with expectancy. We have to come to a place to where we just expect God to do what only God God can do, and God can do great things. So there's another story in the Bible. Uh, this rich guy comes up to Jesus. It says he's a rich young man, and he says, what do I have to do to go to heaven? And he's asking under the law of Moses. So Jesus answers him under the law of Moses. He said, I've done all that. Jesus said, all right, one, one thing you lack. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And, and he's like, no, that ain't going to happen. And he walked away sad. So Jesus said, And that's not how we go to heaven, by the way. And that's not actually how they went to heaven. I think Jesus wanted them to be one of his disciples. But Jesus made this comment. He said, how difficult it will be for rich people to make heaven. That's the comment that he made. And it blew his disciples' minds, but it's really cool 
the answers that came, Mark 10, 26, the disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And guys, keep that on the screen for a moment more. Are you listening to me in Borman, man? How about the guys at TCI? How about online? How about here? You guys hearing this? So what did Jesus say? How does this apply? If you take it in its strictest context, here's how it applies. If you have a loved one that's stubborn, that doesn't want to receive Jesus, maybe they're wealthy, maybe they're not. Maybe they don't believe God exists. Don't give up on them because Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. He said, I can sick the Holy Spirit on them and I can soften their heart and I can bring them into the kingdom. So keep going back to the plate, keep praying, keep believing God to do what he can do. Don't give up. But then the word all, did you see? Uh, with God, all things are possible. That opened it up to every scenario. I didn't didn't do it. God did. He said, with God, all things are possible. So that means that whatever's going on in your life, because you serve the living God and because God's on your side, God can do a God thing and all things are possible with God. And so our expectancy can go up to the God level. All things are possible with God. And there's another beautiful story in the Bible. It has to do with a widow woman. And I think we can all relate. She was young and her husband dies. So she becomes a widow. And they had young kids, and she had two boys, and the Bible says she was in great debt. So the debtor came. This was Bible days. We, it wouldn't happen today. But the debtor came, and he said, I'm going to take your two boys, and they're going to be enslaved to me, and they're going to work that debt off. And so if you were a mama, you just lost your husband. Now you're going to lose two boys. You would be frustrated. So she goes to Elisha, the prophet, because her husband was under him in the school of the prophets. She says, Elisha, this is what's going to happen. And, and he did what God always does. This is what God will always say to us. He said, what do you have, widow woman? Amen. And she said, I have this little itty-bitty cruise of oil. That's all I have, and that's not enough. If I sell it, I won't be able to pay the debt off. I don't have enough. And he just smiled. He said, here's what you do. He said, I want you to go ask all your neighbors for empty jars. And he said, don't ask for just a few. Ask for a lot. Get all the empty jars you can. And, and so he said, what's going to happen is you're going to pour that cruise, and it's not going to wear out, and it's going to keep pouring. It's going to keep. It's going to fill up every one of those jars. And so she had to believe, and she had to expect. And so it's amazing to watch what happened. And more could have happened, and I'll show you why. But let's read our text. It reads like this, 2 Kings 4, 5. She left him, Elisha, and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. Verse six, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. God could only do all things. God could only do a miracle according to what she expected. And so she went out and got the jars that she expected. And I'm just trying to read between the lines. She has this itty-bitty little cruise, and, and she's saying, man, that's enough, boys. Our counters are full, and I know we could put more on the computer table, and we could put more in the garage and more in the floor, more in the basement, right? But, but she said, let's just stop. I mean, I mean, if God does this, it will be awesome, right? And so it stopped flowing. And her expectancy determined the miracle or what God could do in her life. Expectancy determines how much God can do in our lives. And God did help her. Listen, listen to verse 7. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt so there was enough to pay her debt, and you and your sons can live on what is left. So I don't want to minimize what she did, but guys, 
If she got another jar, would God have filled it? Yeah. If she had gotten 10 more, would God have filled it? Yeah. If she doubled the jars, would God have filled it? Yeah. And I want to ask all of us a question. How many empty jars are you preparing for God to fill? What are you expecting? And the next time you have a problem in your life, I want you to ask yourself, man, what am I expecting God to do? Because if we grow our expectancy, God can do all the more. The, the oil jar will keep flowing. And here's the second thing we need to do. We need to grow our visibility. And I like this. That means we need to look at life through God's eyes. And life is so different when we look at it through God's eyes, right? Uh, here's what I come to conclude with the news. No matter which news you watch, they're just giving us information, but they're not giving us any solutions. And so that's why you can feel pretty yucky after listening to the news, right? And so they're just giving you all the facts, and that's good. It's good. We need to know facts. We don't want to put our head in the sand. But guys, we need to go beyond that and say, okay, that's the fact, but let's look at this through God's eyes. What can we expect God to do? And let's look at this problem through the eyes of God, and that changes everything. So there's a story in the Bible that I really love too. And I think we all know it. It has to do with the children of Israel. They were delivered out of slavery from Egypt, and now they're in the wilderness. Do you know they were only in the wilderness less than a year when God said, I want to take you into the land of Canaan? And he said to Moses, he said, pick the leaders, get the leaders from all 12 tribes. And then he said, I want you to send them to spy on the land. And he just said, I want them to go see what's out there. And so these are leaders in Israel. But what's amazing is, 10 of them came back with a bad report. And I want to show you what the bad report is. It might surprise you. And two came back with a good report. And it shows us their lack of visibility. The 10 with the bad report were looking at everything through their eyes. And life can be pretty scary when we look at it from our eyes. Numbers 13, 28 reads like this. But the people who live there, these are the 10 with the bad report, are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. None of this is a bad report. These are the facts. It's okay to notice the facts. Uh, we even saw the descendants of Anak there, and the next verse explains who they are. It's pretty cool, guys. If you, if you like sci-fi, this is pretty cool. Verse 33, we saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. So can I stop for a moment? None of this is a bad report. The Nephilim were giants, and here's what happened. You know, when God threw Lucifer out of heaven, uh, there were two times in, in the world history where some of his angels crossed a boundary they were not allowed to cross. They had relationships with women, and they produced the Nephilim, the giants. And the Bible talks about that. There's a lot of verses about it. Uh, a lot of stories in, uh, in human history have come out over these guys, and they were huge. They were giants. But then they kept having relationships, and it kept being dumbed down, and they brought it down to the people of Anak, which were Goliath size, nine-footers, 10-footers, 11-footers. And they're still big boys, right? Especially back in Bible days, they weren't even as tall as we are, right? And so uh, none, none of this is a bad report until this part. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Their visibility is wrong. They're seeing it through their eyes. And then this one's really, really interesting. And we look the same to them. So guys, they're spies. They're just spying out the land. And they didn't show themselves to these people. These people didn't know who they were. They were just looking at them, right? 
And they didn't walk up to them and said, hey, man, we, we feel like we look like grasshoppers compared to you. What do you think? Do you think we look like grasshoppers? Oh, yeah, you look like a grasshopper to me. No, no, none of that happened, guys. That just didn't happen. Uh, these guys never saw them, but they imagined that, right? Do you know what the Bible actually says concerning the, the inhabitants of the land, Anak and all of them? You know what the Bible actually says? It says they were shaken in their boots because Israel was going to come. And not because they were big, tall people. They were shaken in their boots because they heard what their God did to the Egyptians and how their God delivered them from Egypt. So they're afraid of their God. But these guys aren't looking at it from that perspective. But the two spies, Caleb and Joshua, that had the good report, they were looking at it through a different set of eyes. And listen to how Numbers 14, verse 8 reads. And this is Caleb. Uh, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the, uh, the, that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. The rebellion is seen through your eyes, not God's, right? Not expecting him to do what he just did in Egypt. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Another translation said, they're going to be our bread and butter. We're just going to eat them up like bread. And then it goes on and says this, guys, their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Now, notice the eyes they're looking at this through. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Their visibility of these two spies was totally different. And I want to ask you a question. How are you looking at your circumstance? Are you looking at solving it with just your ability? We don't want to deny facts. We don't want to live in a make-believe world, but we want to recognize what's happening, and we want to say, but my God is going to work in this. And I'm expecting God to do great things. And I'm going to see this through God's eyes. I can't fix it. I can't change it. This is really tough on me. But God can change it. And God can fix it. So those are the first two things. The third one is where I, we just begin to release God. And it goes like this. We have to grow our vocabulary. And what comes out of your mouth is really important. I'm going to show you why. You know, in the world, they, they think their words have power, and they don't. But I, I heard this recently um, in my connect group. I did a connect group called Christian Leadership Principles, and I wanted uh, leaders that were 40 and under. I, I want to just help that next generation. So I had a, just a bunch of young leaders. And one of them, a couple weeks ago, brought up the question. And they said, what do you know about manifesting? I said, I don't know anything about manifesting. And, and uh, so I said, what is it? They said, well, in the world, they say that if something good happens in their life, they manifested it by their words. And, he, and I said, well, it's kind of similar to what God says, but not exactly. So we don't want to go there. We want to do what God said, right? And in the Bible, the Bible talks about our confession. And confession is really important. What comes out of your mouth is important. But what's really cool about confession is the Greek word that it's translated from, and it says it all, and it changes everything, and it's this Greek word. It's the Greek word homo legeo. You don't have to remember that, but it's a compound word. Homo means same or the same. Legeo means to speak. So the literal definition is to speak the same thing as somebody else. And of course, the somebody else is God. So the Bible is saying that you and I need to say what God says. So that's not manifesting. That's not new age. That's just taking what God said in the Bible and declaring it out of your mouth. And you might wonder, why should I do that? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible says, one of your weapons is the sword of the Spirit. And you need to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the spoken word of God and release it out of your mouth. Now, here's what's cool about the sword of the Spirit. Uh, our spiritual armor was compared to that of a Roman soldier. That's what God did. He had it compared to a soldier 
that was a Roman soldier. And the Romans changed the whole concept of swords. The dynasties that became, came before them, they had a really big clunky sword and it was sharp on just one side. The Romans made the sword a little smaller and a little more nimble and they gave it two sharp edges. So they could shave people a little closer, right? So they have these two sharp edges. And when God said, take the sword of the Spirit, there is a picture being painted because one sharp edge is what God says, but it's not our sword till we begin to say what God says. And when we say what God said, we make our sword. And that sword is a weapon that's very, very important in your life. So every time you say what God said, there's a couple things that are happening. Number one, you live in a body, right? You're a spirit. You possess a soul and you live in a body. The real you is your spirit. And every time you say what God says, you're literally determining your emotional state. Because when you say what God says, it brings peace and it brings joy. The Bible also says that your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotion, you need to renew it. You need to reprogram it. And every time you say what God's saying, uh, the Bible says the number one way we reprogram our mind is by meditation. Meditation means to say the same thing as another. So every time you say what God said, you're literally reprogramming your mind, plus you're producing a sword. And it's pretty cool to produce a sword, right? And begin to say what God said. So homo legeo is really important. It's a weapon, and it will knock down the walls of some boxes in our life. And there are tons of boxes. You know what your boxes are. You know where you're limiting God, where you're putting him in a box. But I came up with three scenarios to help you see how this works. And the first one is this, tearing down the I can't stop sinning box. And how often as Christians do we say, I can't stop this addiction. I can't stop sinning. And when we're doing that, we're putting God in a box, and God wants to do so much more in our life. But we're saying, I can't stop. I can't stop. And you know what? That is not biblically true. You can stop. It's a process. It takes some time in some areas of our life, but you can stop. And I want to just show you something that's so powerful. And this is what God said. And what if this came out of our mouth? Let's dream together. What if we said this instead of maybe what we are saying? We're, we're saying, I can't stop this. I can't stop doing it. And God's saying, no, you can stop it. And here's what God says about the real you, your spirit, man. That's the real you. It looks just like your body. It lives inside uh, you, and it has a face and eyes and hands, and it, it's the real you. And it says this in Galatians 2.20. This is what God says. I, the Christian, have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I just want that part of the verse. Guys, here's what happened. When you said, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior, God caused the old you to die. So that old spirit died. He put a new one inside of you. And that new one is created in the image and likeness of God himself. So the old you died. That was the sinner you. You have sin stain in your body, but the real you is not a sinner. And then the Bible says this, 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. And another translation for the same verse says that uh, we are a new creation, a new species of being which never existed before. So if you accepted Jesus as your Savior, you can sin, and we will sin. No perfect people are allowed here, right? But we can overcome one sin after another. We can overcome addiction. Why? Because the guy that's inside of us is not bound to sin. He's been set free from sin. The real you is set free from sin. And one more verse just to make this 
understandable, Colossians 1.22, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. Look at this. This is what God says about you. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And what if in some area of your life where you're struggling, what if you began to say what God said? What if you began to say, I am holy, I am righteous, and I am clean, and I am sinless, and I can say no to this sin, and I can resist this sin, and I can walk free from this sin? How would that change your life? You're just ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. You're knocking down the walls of those boxes, and you begin to live like you've never lived before. There's power in you and I saying what God has declared about us. We change our vocabulary. So you want to ask, is there any area in my life where I need to change my vocabulary? Here's another great example. I call it tearing down the I can't do it box. And how often do we say, I can't do it. I can't love that person. I can't forgive that person. I can't step out on the water. How many times does that come out of our mouths, right? And I get it. I've said it before, right? How often do we say, I cannot do what God's asking me to do. I can't share Christ with someone. I can't invite someone to church or whatever it is. We put God in this box. And God's saying, no, 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 no. You can do anything. And so the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, he talked about his life. He said, guys, I have lived at the top of the mountain. I've had abundance, and I've lived this really good life. And then he said, I've had some lows, and I've been in some valleys and storms, and I've been so poor I didn't have anything to eat. And, and so he shares where he's been in this life, and then he makes this statement, Philippians 4.13. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or gives me strength or gives me grace. And I love what he's saying. So he's saying, when I'm at the top of the mountain, all the blessings in life are not going to pull me away from God. I can serve God even when I'm blessed. But then he's saying, when I'm at the bottom, when I'm going through a storm, when I'm going through hard times, or when God asks me to step out and do something, or I decide to do something, he says, there's nothing I can't do through Christ who strengthens me. And the next time you're locked into that... I can't do box. What if we just knock those walls down? And what if we begin to say, I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me? I believe that's when the strength, the grace of God begins to be released in our lives. And we just declare, this thing's not going to stop me. I'm not going to stop with fear. I'm not going to stop with anxiety. I can do anything through Christ who gives me the strength. And we begin to release that strength of God into our life. That changes everything. Oh, it changes everything. And my last one's a gift. It's a gift for believers. You guys are so generous, and we're living in a time now with inflation. I think it's about 6%, and nations go through cycles like this. And, and you know, uh, steak is almost double. Bacon's double. I mean, when bacon's double, that everything's bad when bacon is costing more money, right? That can ruin a life, right? So, so bacon's up, and, and everything's up. And it's so easy to walk through life, especially if you're on a fixed income, right? Or, you know, you're not making a whole lot of money or whatever it is. Uh, your bills are a little tight. It's so easy to walk through life. And, 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 and we can live in this, uh, I can't, uh, or we can live in this box that I don't have enough box, excuse me. And we need to tear down the I don't have enough box, right? So I, I want to just talk to you about tearing this box down because uh, I don't want you to be... Uh, confined and have God in a box because God said, I, I can help you financially. I can bless you above your ability. I can bless you above 
your job. And so I think of the one promise in the book of Philippians. The Bible says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his ability. Uh, not, not the economy, not the season we're living in as a nation, but God's ability. That's pretty, pretty cool. And then there's another place, and this is the gift to believers, church. You guys ready, Boardman? Uh, you guys ready, TCI? You ready online? You ready here? Um, the Bible also says when you're generous, God will bless you way above your ability. And there's uh, two beautiful chapters, 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9. And Paul's taking a special offering. That's all that's happening. So he's asking them to give above their ability. And then in chapter 9, verse 6, he makes this a statement. The statement, he says, if you give... He says, generously, God will bless you generously. And if you give sparingly, he'll still bless you, but he can only bless you according to your giving. That's what Jesus meant when he said, give and it shall be given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. So I think of you guys, you're so generous. And then verse seven says, but don't, don't let Pastor Joe or any minister coerce you to give, pressure you to give. God loves a cheerful giver. So give out of the right heart. Give because you want to. Give because you love people. Give because you want to help people. Give out of generosity, a generous heart. But then verse 8 is what I want you to begin to say over your life. I'm saying it over your life. I want you to say it over your life. And it's 2 Corinthians 9, 8. So 6, 7, and then 8. And God will generously provide all you need. You notice how there's no clause unless you live in the United States of America in 2021. Then God can't help you at all. Um, then you will always have everything you need. That, that's every need being met. And plenty left over to share with others or keep being a blessing. And that's what the Bible says about you. So what if we hear the news and we hear, oh, no, bacon's so high or whatever it is, right? We hear that news, and instead of putting God in a box like, oh, no, and it's good to do your homework, it's good to be wise and all that, but what if out of your mouth you began to confess what God said, and you began to declare that my God is going to supply all my needs according to his ability. I have been generous, and my God is going to be generous with me. He's going to give me all I need, and he's going to give me extra, and I'm going to keep being a blessing. I'm not going to stop being a blessing. I'm going to be blessed so I can bless, and I don't know how God's going to do it, but God's going to do it. How would that change everything in our life? Can we give it up one more time for God? I think that changes everything, man. Oh, that changes everything. So, you know, we grow our expectancy. We grow our, our, our visibility. And then we grow our vocabulary. And, and guys, we'll take Jesus out of the box. I just want him out of every box in your life. So let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Father, I did my best to unbox you today. And uh, I thank you for helping me unbox you in areas of my life. I thank you for helping all of us unbox you in areas of our life. And as we walk through the week, show us. Show us where we have you in a box, Lord, and uh, show us how we can grow our expectancy. Show us, Father God, what you have said and declared, and we can grow our visibility. And Lord, then we can grow our vocabulary. If we know what you said, we can begin to say what you said. And how powerful is that? So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I believe God's speaking to hearts right now. And God's encouraging so many of you. And God's given you a new perspective today. Some of you already had it, and I'm so proud of you. Heads are bowed in Borman online. Guys at TCI here in Warren. Maybe you're listening and you're not sure if you're forever. You're not sure if you were to die, if you'd go to heaven or to hell. Or maybe you walked in not being sure that God existed. Here's the big question I'm asking. I'm not asking you to join believers or a religion or a church. I'm not asking you if you belong to a church. 
I'm not asking you if you're a member of a church, if you were water baptized. Here's what I'm asking. What have you done with Jesus? Because that's the only way to go to heaven. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will not perish, but receive everlasting life. Jesus said, you can't come to heaven on your own good works, but you can only come by placing faith in me through the grace of God. So the question I'm asking is, what have you done with Jesus? And if you can't remember a day where you prayed and said, Jesus, I accept you as my savior, my question to you is why not today, right? Are you ready? If you're ready, only God can make you ready. Would you pray with me right now? The rest of us, can we help them pray? Just let's help them. We already prayed. We accepted Christ, but let's help them. And just simply mean this if you're praying it for the first time. Say this after me. Say, Lord God, I realize I was born sin-stained, and I need a Savior. I repent of my sins. I look to Jesus. Jesus, I believe you're the only way to heaven. You died for the sins of the entire world. God raised you out of that grave. I accept you as my Savior. And I make a decision today to follow you. Amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer, a miracle just happened. That's pretty cool. God washed all your sins away. God gave you the gift of eternal life. It's absolutely amazing what just happened. But you might not have felt it, but it did happen. Something else is happening that you, may, you and I can't hear. But the Bible teaches us if one person on planet Earth accepts Jesus as their Savior, like we just prayed, that God himself in heaven begins to celebrate. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.